This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Then they get out into the game and it just doesn't work, and that's pretty much what happened to the Avs tonight. So Nachushkin back down, playing with Lekkinen and Johansson on the second unit. Nachushkin toward the net, tumbles there, they score! Lekkinen ties the game at one! Well, I guess this is the right line then, right? <laughs> Jumps on that loose puck. Really nice work in the corner by the Avs as Nachuskin works the puck into the corner and he's going to need puck support. And it's from Lekkanen. The two of them get to work here and with a delayed penalty, Lekkanen takes the free puck. Grubauer is out of position. There's no chance. From last night, welcome to the program, by the way. Uh, Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Director. Sandy Cope on my left. Folks from ESPN on the calls. The Avs beat the Kraken four to one, but the I analyst bet. Ray Ferraro, one yes. of the best, and I thought he was. And that goal made night. it one to one because yep. the Kraken took the early lead. They never scored again. More on the man stopping the goals later, but that goal happens, uh, and you hear them talking about the right line. Jared Bednar against the uh, again, and happened again last night. Very disciplined forecheck. From the Seattle Kraken, of course, the Avs ran into that in the playoffs as they were bumped out of it in Game 7. Tried to go a little heavier, replacing Jonathan Duran with Valerian Nachushkin. Uh, it didn't really work. To Bednar's credit, decided to scrap it at the end of the first period. Put Nachushkin back down with uh, Lekkanen on that second line and Johansson. And they basically immediately punch one in. And then the Avs romp from there. Ends up with a final score of 4-1. to one, A... Uh, Good coaching job again by Bednar. Worth trying because you know that forecheck was a problem. But then switching back and give credit to uh, Nachushkin, by the way. Did not score the goal, but as they pointed out, the delayed penalty would have come up as he got tripped, barreling towards the net. That's what happens when you when you can't get one in any sort of fancy way. Sometimes you need to just, just drive the net. And that's what uh, Nachushkin did there back on his other line. Uh, Lekkonen's there to pick up the pieces and fire it straight into the net. The Avs roll from there. Another good performance, 3-0 and on the road to start the season, tying the record, by the way, from the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, both teams did it in a stretch over the course of two seasons, but 14 straight road wins for the Avalanche. It is, and uh, boy, you have to go back that far to find a Buffalo Sabres team that was good. I think they're pretty good this year. I think they, they, they might have somewhat of a breakthrough year uh, this year, but that was a long time ago. Talking about 16 years. Yeah. And uh, 14 straight on the road. Uh, very impressive. And you know what? Even more impressively, in their last 45 regular season games, the Avs are now 34-7-4. That works out to a winning percentage or points percentage of 800. That's good hockey. From January through early April last year, and so far this year, opening with the three on the road. That's a lot of wins over a 45-game stretch, and encompassed within that 45-game stretch, you have your 14-game road winning streak. Extraordinary hockey. I thought Nashushkin was their best skater last night and deserved a star as such. He got far more ice time than any other forward at 21 minutes, 37 seconds. And some of it was circumstantial because he played on the top line in the first period. And the first line played a ton of 
Yeah, a bunch of chefs, period. as you expect. Right. bunch of chefs, as, as you'd expect. And then he went back to the second line in periods two and three, and the second line was very good in periods two and three. Johansson centering for Lekkonen and Nashushkin. So he played a fair amount in the last two periods. And I, I, I thought, to me, from the shots on the bench, Nathan McKinnon looked like he was sick last night and played through it, but uh, played fewer than 19 minutes. Renton played fewer than 17 and a half minutes last night, although he played well. He scored a goal. Um, the second line, Johansson was a plus two at 15-34. Uh, Drouin played the last two periods up with the first line. 11 minutes, 12 seconds of ice time for Drouin. Not much. Uh but Logan again, O'Connor actually played more. Because of the way that the with the shifts. Well, with the, the sure, I understand up. that. Yeah. But Logan O'Connor played more did. than Duran did. Well, you speak of Logan O'Connor. And I, I thought uh, between Nishushkin and Logan O'Connor, uh, I, I thought Lekkonen got the third star as the Avalanche's best skater last night. But I thought it could have been Nishushkin, maybe should have been, or even O'Connor, whose shorthanded goal to be the game winning. How goal. important do you think it is, Sandy, for Nachushkin, who, of course, you know, in Seattle, yes. missing missing the yes. five games of that series, and leading directly to certain levels to the Avalanche's elimination. Now we've talked about this, uh, a similar situation, at least on when we're talking about on the ice challenges, where a couple years prior, Nizam Kadri actually had a. Uh, Got himself suspended. It hurt no, the Avalanche. Three years ago, right? Yeah. Three years ago, but you could argue that Kadri's mistakes had led to the Avalanche's elimination. The Avs embraced yeah, Kadri, Kadri right. with open arms. He comes back, has a brilliant year. They win the cup. The Avs have been uh, rather consistent in saying that they're all on the same page with Nachushkin. He's they're they're comfortable with playing with him and. They're going to do the same thing they did with Kadri. Obviously, the situation's different when you're talking about what well, Kadri and Nachushkin were you know, unavailable for. But how important is it that the early returns for Nachushkin have been good? It's important. And the most important thing, with all due respect to his teammates, is Bednar trust him. Because he let Bednar down. He, he let the whole team down. But he let Bednar mm-hmm. down. Because against a scrappy team like Seattle, you needed Nishushkin. Yeah. It, it, not necessarily for But he's one of the few guys that has a, a big but a body presence. and, and yeah, yes. the presence and, and knows and how, they, how to utilize they that. Were, I won't say they were beaten up, but in terms of grit, they didn't have it. They had star and power. And Seattle still does. They, they had star power. Um, I think, as Ferraro suggested last night on the telecast, Seattle will be one of those teams that takes... I think a bit of a dive, actually, this year. I don't think they'll be in the playoffs. Haxtell did a great coaching job last year, but they had a lot of good players who had career years. Simultaneously. In other words, great years, all at the same time. That's somewhat unusual. But the Avalanche can play the way they did last night, which I thought was a C, C C-plus game. I thought it was better in the third period. I thought they had at least a B uh, level in the third period, but I thought the first two periods they were C, C minus maybe. Uh, they they weren't particularly good, but they have people who can strike quickly. Uh, Lekkonen did it to tie the game one one on the goal we we just heard. 
O'Connor did it shorthanded from McCarr, who I thought was terrific last night and, again, didn't play a lot. 22 minutes to 24-31 for his defense partner, Taves. They split those two a lot. It was an interesting game from that standpoint. I think the Avalanche are waiting for Bo Byram to start the season. He hasn't been very good in any of the three games. And of the six defensemen who dressed out last night, and this is Bednar, whose decision-making I trust, he was fifth in ice time. Ahead of only Jack Johnson and not ahead of Johnson by much, less than two minutes. Gerard, who's been much better than Byram in the first three games, and I mean a whole lot better. Byram's been nearly if, invisible. If they switched numbers, you would think, okay, that's Byram, who's productive and active and jumping into plays and everything else. And uh, you'd think of Gerard as, as the guy who's kind of getting pushed around and making mistakes. It's been the other way around. And this is why it is insane. And I'll make this point once, and I promise not to repeat it, at least not very often this year. I'm going to say it once, and I'm going to leave it alone. It is insane, insane to think about trading Samuel Gerard. Unless you get a hell of a package back. It is insane. You're better off trading Bo Byram, who's actually younger, than you are Samuel Gerrard. Because part- Byram hasn't proven he can stay healthy, and this year he starts the season healthy, and he's played poorly, as Ferraro again pointed out last night during the first period. Byram was the worst player on the ice for either might, team yeah, in the first period. Turnover, 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 turnover. Never involved in the play. Uh, Manson was better. I thought Johnson was better, although he didn't get as much ice time. And obviously, you had Gerard playing over 20 minutes, uh, McCarr at 22.08, and Taves at 24.11. Byram only played 17 minutes, 24 seconds. Um, I, I, and I, I think the goaltending made up for some of that sloppiness, especially in the first period. They were badly outplayed, badly outshot and should have been behind by at least two goals. Well, fortunately, we talk about uh, defense for the Avalanche, and while Gerard has played better, I, I, I agree with you, and I also think when fans look at it, you have to understand the salary part of the equation, of which uh, Gerard is signed for multiple years at, at least when you're talking about uh, today's prices, a very reasonable number. And so that's another reason why I think it would take a really remarkable package to get something to, to move along. Whereas Bowen Byron makes a 3.8 million for this year and next before getting restricted free agency. I don't, I don't think the abs actually, that's a, that's a fan thing. I think they, some fans look at Gerard's game and yes, at times uh, does he slip up and does I he make mistakes? But agree. at the same time, you have to remember when you look at, but that he's top, blocking shots and, and he's making that hits. top pairing of Kale McCarr and Devon Taves. That's two of the top, individual defenseman in the league and by far the best defensive pairing in the league. And yes, your other teammates are going to pale to a certain extent by comparison. But speaking of McCarr, they have that guy and he had an opportunity on, uh, you could call it an outlet pass, but it's an outlet pass that goes half the length of the rink to Logan O'Connor, who gets himself a shorty for the avalanche. It sounded like this to McCarr. Coming up on 40 seconds to go. The Avalanche clear. O'Connor's got it. Short-handed. Scores! 
and the Avs lead. Across the ice. As you'll see him on the right side, McCarr is going to get this puck. As Taves breaks up the play, McCarr clears it around, and Dunn will not see O'Connor until it's too late. O'Connor takes it to the forehand and is able to beat Grubauer with the shorthanded goal. As you pointed out, even before the game yesterday, Logan O'Connor's secret weapon is he can skate. Well, yes. McCarr, and yeah. he hustles. And, um, and he hustles. And he fought, and I'm not a fighting guy, but he fought the right guy at the right time, right at the start of the game, get it over with. The other guy expected it. He fought with Jordan Eberle, who hit the, yeah. head the check on Cagliano that broke a couple right. vertebras. Eberle doesn't right. fight, but Eberle knew it was. But Eberle had to, he knew had it was to coming, fight. And, and I, I'd like the fact that Ferraro, I think, was the one who said, doesn't matter who wins the fight. That, that takes us back to the, a less appropriate measure taken back in 04 by the Vancouver Canucks against Steve Moore. We all, all remember we don't need to rehash that whole business. Moore did fight, but won the fight, which the Canucks and Mark Crawford apparently thought, well, that didn't count then because he won the fight, so he's got to fight again. Well, they didn't have him fight. They assaulted him right. instead, for which Todd Bertuzzi should have been behind bars common assault he should have been behind bars well that was only in the national hockey league could he have escaped with a token suspension and beyond that absolutely nothing but i will say this about o'connor on that play which they later described on the replay you see o'connor coming from the other side of the ice you talk about reading a play and his speed got him there but his hockey sense contributed to it. He's a smart player. And, again, I've said this before about Logan O'Connor. He is a much better NHL player than he was at DU. Mm-hmm. I mean, much, much better. He will be the first to tell you that. And the reason is he's learned how to apply his speed. He doesn't have the greatest hands in the world. I mean, my goodness, he went three months last year without scoring a goal at one point. But. The shorthanded goal put an exclamation point on superb penalty killing so far this year by the Avs, who in their first three games have not allowed a shorthanded goal, and I think the goaltender is primarily responsible for that. But they have now scored a shorthanded goal without giving up a power play goal. Who could have imagined from watching at least the first half of last year that the Avalanche would ever have more shorthanded goals at any point in any season than they had power play goals given up. Jordan Everly, by the way, 33 years old, that was only the third fight of his career. He talked about it after the game and said, we obviously go back to the series last year. It was a tough series, tough situation. Just trying to get my my teammates going. It, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of the fighting in hockey, but that particular but that was, thing, that including the way the two, got, the two men handled it, okay. Uh, now, now you put the rest behind you when the Kraken and the the Avalanche play. That's no longer a thing. Uh, they they've handled it, and and off you go. So I think that's good news. But the, now, so the Avs have a lot of respect for Seattle. Every post game comment last night indicated, uh, with some variation, 
respect for Seattle. Yes, they beat us last year. Yes, they gave us trouble tonight. They were the better team tonight. They deserved to win the playoff series uh, last year. But, again, the Avalanche have a better goaltender. Uh, They have stars. And if supplemented by performances such as Nashushkin, Lekkonen, and O'Connor delivered last night, and I would say Girard, who at least from the fan standpoint is not considered an avalanche star or even an avalanche fixture, a core player. He's just a guy who happens to be young that you want to trade all the time uh, every time he's on the ice for a goal. Uh, Even though the head coach, who is expert at deploying personnel for the right amount of time in any given game, especially when he has a healthy team to work with, he plays Gerard 20 minutes a game. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't that tell you something? Yeah, it should. As a fan, I mean – Hockey fans, I think, in general, are actually a little more sophisticated than the average fan Mm -hmm. is. But there's but boy, when hockey fans are dumb, they are the (laughs) dumbest and most stubborn. I mean, the two hockey fan theories that have stuck out to me over almost thirty years now of Avalanche hockey: Joel Quenville can't coach. And Samuel Gerard can't play. The two dumbest things that fan websites have come out with consistently and never admit they're wrong. When Quenville won three Stanley Cups in Chicago, they still wouldn't acknowledge that, well, maybe he wasn't that bad a coach here in Denver after all. Joe Quenville is always a great coach. We can talk about what's happened to Joel Quenville, which is unfortunate, and all Joel Quenville's fault, by the way. And Joel Quenville's a very good friend of mine. But Joel Quenville's been a terrific coach all his life. The Avalanche moved to 3-0. The home opener will be tomorrow against the Blackhawks on ESPN. And, of course, uh, Kale McCarr will be going for his 251st career point, the 250 point that you heard there. And what that that on assist that O'Connor, that's a major one. And it's a major statement for a player that has been as transformational as I said he was after the very first, uh, about halfway through the very first year of his career, Sandy. Uh, you can see the greatness, and it is fully on display. We'll talk more about Kale McCarr and where he stands within the annals of history. No, I'm not kidding. Yeah, I know how old he is. We're, we have to talk about it, and we will next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. In last night's Avalanche 4-1 to win over the Kraken on the road, Logan O'Connor gets a short-timer. We heard a short-handed goal, pardon me. We heard it earlier. A great, lengthy outlet pass from his own zone from Kale McCarr to find O'Connor to go and get that goal. That was the 250th point of his career. Kale McCarr has played in 241 games. That broke the record of one Bobby Orr, universally renowned as the best 
overall defenseman that's ever lived, beat it by a handful of games, and or did that in 247, McCarr in 241. Now, there, there are differences. McCarr came into the league at 21 or at 18. Right. At the same time, when you're talking about those guys and, and, and some of the other players he passed, you know, Dennis Potvin uh, yeah. in there, Paul Coffey, right. by the way, or a number one all-time 1.393 points per game <laughs> in his career among defensemen, Coffey 1.087, McCarr 1.037. That's third among defensemen all time. McCarr is better right now than Paul Coffey I agree. ever was. I agree. Uh, there's only one Bobby Orr. And I am among those, um, a group that includes uh, the two great sports writers from the Boston Globe, uh, sports columnists, Leslie Visser and Bob Ryan, who believe Bobby Orr uh, was the greatest hockey player ever lived. Now, his career was shortened, so I get the argument that because of the length of his career, basically a decade, um, Gretzky and Lemieux uh, were uh, certainly around longer. But Bobby Orr, even at the end of his career with bad knees, when he could still skate, he controlled every game. And I I won't compare McCarr directly to Orr, uh, in part because of the differences you suggest. When Bobby Orr broke into the NHL, it was the era of the original six. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody was bad. Right. Okay. I mean, there had to be a last place team in the original six, but that team usually wasn't that far removed from the first place team. I mean, you're talking about six teams. It, it, it'll be like, I suspect the NBA's Western Conference will be this year, where between one and six or even one and seven, there'll be a difference of maybe four or five games. Well, we can talk can more about that. that later. But that's what the NHL was like in the original six era, and that was the era that Bobby Orr played in at the start yeah. of his career. That, that rookie year, the, the Bruins the, were last, went 17-43-10, last in the, in the league by a decent amount behind the Red Wings. Before his knees went bad, uh, Orr was a mark. I mean, he'd kill penalties by himself. He'd rag the puck for two minutes. Nobody could get it away from him. I compare McCarr with the Bobby Orr of the mid-70s as his career was coming to an end, as his knees were going bad, but he could still control the pace of the game. No defenseman is even close to Kale McCarr right now. When Kale McCarr is right and he's healthy, which he wasn't at the end of last year, when he is healthy as he is right now, no defenseman comes close to controlling the pace of a game the way Kale McCarr does. And he I, was a master last night on a night when his team did not play that well. I remember a, a couple years ago, right, right about when we started doing this, when Kale McCarr started to really show his abilities. And I remember saying uh, that I felt that he was a transformative player. Absolutely. And, and I felt that he was the most important defenseman and going to be the most important defenseman since Bobby Orr. And right. you looked at me sideways. And yeah, I, I thought you were getting a little carried away <laughs> at the time, but I came to agree with you. But, yeah, you were the first to make the point. And then Wayne Gretzky said it. Yep, Gretzky said he it. He mentioned McCarr in the same breath yep. with Orr. Now, a few months Gretzky, later, Gretzky never said played it. against Orr, but it wasn't like they were 20 years apart 
30, 40 years apart, Gretzky knew exactly Gretzky what he was talking about. Two years after he Orr knew, retired. Right. right. He knew exactly who Bobby Orr was. He knew exactly how good Bobby Orr was. And uh, the, the great story, you know, Gretzky's idol was Gordy Howe growing up. And the great story that Orr tells on himself was the first time he ran into Howe in a game. And he made a move around Howe. And kind of made him look bad. Remember Allen Iverson's crossover right. on Jordan? Mm-hmm. Which still gets talked about, yep. right? And Orr did something similar to Gordy Howe. And the next shift, when they're both on the ice together, Howe gives Orr one of those two-handers and says to him, kid, never do that to me again. <laughs> and Orr, basically, as Orr tells it, says, yes, sir, and <laughs> proceeds to play his game. But but listen, uh, no no player was like Bobby Orr in, in his prime. But even when he had lost some of his explosiveness, he still controlled the pace of the game. And that's why I have said, and you were the first to suggest it, McCarr is the right-handed Bobby Orr. Yeah. In terms of controlling the pace, of the and game. in the and in the way that younger players are now are going to look at the way they want to play, right? younger players for a generation are going to look at the way Kale McCarr plays and decide as a defenseman, that's how I want to play. That's when you're talking about transformative guys. That's what I mean, guys that will inform a generation of future players with their style of play. And McCarr is that level of guy. You can look at that phenomenal top line. We went over the ESPN Top 100 uh, yesterday, in which they agreed that McCarr was number two in the league, McKinnon yeah. was number three, Best and Rantanen defenseman. was number twenty or was number seven, not 27, yes. seven. Rantanen was the best winger, McCarr the best defenseman, and in the non-Connor McDavid right. category, McKinnon was the best center. But the quarterback of this team is Kale McCarr. The, the, the pace in which they play. Oh, of course. Uh, the, of course. The, the, he is the guy that runs the He's the, the orchestrator. Show. Exactly. He's the orchestrator. And you don't see very many. You can go throughout hockey history, and you can find a handful of defensemen who run the game from that position, and it's not many. And, and those are the ones that you know, and you have to go back a ways. We're talking original sex era to find guys like that. What you're seeing from McCarr is, if not unprecedented, extremely rare and extremely oh, uh, uncommon. Uh, and then to see it, and then to see it on the ice at the same time, yeah. sometimes with Nathan McKinnon and Miko Randon, folks, I don't oh, know as hockey fans if you know how good you've got it. Yeah, and, and and you can throw Taves in there too. Yes, you can. And uh, it's it's magic when the, those four are on the ice together, which ha- happens a fair amount by design. Uh, it, there, there's magic there. And uh, Ray Ferraro said around the middle of the game last night that there were only three or four guys going last night for the Avs. Mm-hmm. And the rest were kind of passengers, right? When one of those guys is McCarr, you have a great chance still to win the game. <laughs> when one uh, of those yeah. three or four guys is K.O. McCarr, um, you know, the other three guys, including McKinnon, the other three guys can be almost any other three guys. Last night, I thought it might have been, who knows, Nashushkin, Lekkinen, and O'Connor. Might have been the other three guys. But McCarr 
was so good last night, and you noticed it because every time he touched the puck, they were booing him. So you knew yeah. when he had the puck, and he had the puck a lot, and they were booing a I lot. I thought they'd get tired and of that. And the boos but... gradually lessened Yeah, uh, as the games went on. It were it diminished in, in volume, not by a lot, but especially when the uh, Kraken got behind, and it was clear that Makar was controlling the game even though he wasn't playing on the better of the two teams last night, I, I just thought it was a magnificent uh, demonstration. And uh, listen, um, Bobby Orr played with good but not great goaltenders, mainly with Jerry Cheevers through his career. Jerry Cheevers is a very good goaltender, probably not a great one, probably not a great one. Um you know, I think this guy with the avalanche right now, since Patrick Waugh, the, the abs haven't had a goaltender like this in his prime. Yeah. And a guy who's hungry because he's never won a cup and he played back up to Lundquist and Shesterkin with the Rangers. Lundquist, now retired, a studio analyst for TNT, raves about Alexander Georgiev, and, we, yeah. and rightly and so. We will get more into Georgiev in just a bit. But let me give you the first four. We'll take the, these three games out of the equation. The first four full seasons for Bobby Orr and Kale McCarr. And again, Orr started at the age of 18. Right. So in four seasons, he played 250 games. Uh, McCarr has had 238 in part because he hasn't been a, as healthy. But McCarr has 65 goals to Orr's 78. That's a big difference. But Orr had 178 assists. McCarr has 181. 256 <laughs> points for Orr, 246 for McCarr in the first four years. Now, of course, he's got to that 250. The plus minuses for Orr, freak show. Yes. Uh, McCarr, plus 93 in those four years, which is remarkable, but still pales against Orr's plus 138 at the time. And keep in mind, in Orr's fourth season at the age of 21, he led the league in plus minus for the second time, mind you. At, at plus 54, he led the league also in assists and points. That was the year they won the Cup, so, I think. Yeah, and he the was first yeah, year they won. Hart Trophy winner, Norris Trophy winner, Ross yeah. Trophy winner, Consumite uh, Trophy he, he winner. He won everything that uh, was the, the whole thing. So it, it is hard to look at McCarr despite his achievements and say he's necessarily going to pass Bobby Orr. But when you're talking about the next best thing to Bobby Orr, you're talking about someone who's, as you pointed out, I think universally considered the best defenseman and in many circles maybe considered the best hockey player ever. Right. What Makar is doing is simply stunning. And it is a treat to watch that man skate, to facilitate, to shoot, uh, as all the tools. And the beauty, the beauty of it is you've seen offensive defensemen before, maybe not even as gifted as Makar, but he's just as good a defenseman. He's just, as, he's just as talented on the defensive side if he didn't score a point. He's elite. And, and those guys do not come around very often. You are seeing it, an extraordinary talent. And still, at the age of 25, in his formative years, even or with the bad knee sand, if you're looking at statistically his best season, it came at the age of 26 when he had 89 assists, led the league with 135 points, and was a plus 80 on the year. That year he won the Norris Trophy, the Pearson Trophy, and the Ross Trophy. And McCarr may not have reached his peak. That's the thing that's even more yeah, remarkable. I, I, he I, may I, have his first 100-point season this year. In fact, I, I think he will. I really up. think that uh, you're talking about 
a franchise that had uh, its version of a big three to match uh, Robinson, Savard, and Lapointe in the dynasty days of the Montreal Canadiens in the late 1970s. The Avs had their big three during their Stanley Cup year of 2001 in Rob Blake, Ray Bork, and Adam Foote. Mm -hmm. And Bork and Foote played together generally as a tandem. Bork, in his 40s, played more minutes in his final year than any other player in the league. Yeah. Unbelievable. Because the Avs had a lot of injuries, including injuries on defense uh, early in the season. He's better than those three guys. I, I mean, Bork is an all-timer. Uh, yeah, Bork's right. Nineteen-time uh, All-Star right, for right up Bork. there with Orr, and he had a much longer career than Orr. Uh, so his quantitative numbers are, are going to be up there with Orr's, or even beyond Orr's. But I'm I'm here to tell you it, it, that Makar's better. Makar's better than Rob Blake. Rob Blake's a Hall of Famer. Adam Foote should be a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. Uh, for the defenseman he became. But Bork and Blake are. Uh, but Bork, Bork, Bork and Blake, in. I mean, <laughs> Bork and Blake are no doubt about it, Hall of Famers. And I think McCarr's better. I, I, it, it's, it's incredible to say this. Now, those three guys played in front of Patrick Waugh. Mm-hmm. Waugh benefited from their presence, unquestionably, but they benefited from Waugh's presence, too. And I'm not saying Georgiev is Waugh. But I am saying that clearly, in my view, apart from two or three great individual years by certain goaltenders, that, that all those goaltenders were uh, basically past their prime mm-hmm. when they played here. Yeah. And they had one grand year remaining. I mean, some of them are still kind of banging around. I mean, the Avs beat one last night. The man yeah. that was in net that, for that's their right. cup. That's right. Philip Grubauer. And it is a perfect example of, you know, I think a, an average NHL goaltender. On a good team. Having one great year on a good team. Yep. And being hot at the right time. But yeah. this guy, Georgiev. But Georgiev. Built it, a little he's different. He's getting better. Yeah. he He's ascending. And, and I'm, I'm, I know where you're going with that. And I agree. Uh, I think... He is the best goaltender the Avalanche have had since Patrick Waugh. And again, uh, we get that. It's not saying he is Patrick Waugh. But no, what he is no, doing no. is no, really, he's really special. Since. And we'll talk a little bit more about Alexander Gorgiev. There are some numbers that, that bear that right. out. And if you're talking about all-time steals in a trade. Oh, for a third and a fifth? Are yeah. You me? Look at how good that might end up being. We'll talk more about the Avalanche's goaltender maybe even though we've talked about all these stars, maybe the most important player on the team thus far in the early going, Alexander Georgiev in net, next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Nico Rantan checked by Kanijan. In comes Luke Cunning and now Barbanov against Byron. Go inside. Abs unable to hold the zone. Here's a breakaway for Luke Cunning. Saved by Georgiev. And Cunning ends up in the net. 
save by Georgiev. Good work by Peterson to get the puck, and then Luke goes straight ahead. But what I love, he gets tripped right at the end there. I do believe he didn't lose his balance. Oh, no, he did. I'm sorry. He did lose his balance after. Yeah, you, yeah, it, 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 they call him the no Sharks penalty. on NBC Sports Network. Uh, Georgiev no stopping the breakaway in the 2-1 win over the Sharks, in which uh, yeah. the Avs had to fight their way back against a hot goaltender, Mackenzie Blackwood. That, was, that was the save of the game. The only goal he gave up in that game, also in the shootout, which it eventually went to. Georgiev stoned all three of the Sharks shooters, and then you thought that was a good game? They well, needed him even more last night. You had the first game where the Avalanche... Looked like and played like champions. Yeah. Yeah. The second game where they overcame a red hot goaltending performance. Yeah. Third game, the Avs goaltender stole the game. Yes. So that's a nice mixture of three wins, isn't it? It is. You show your dominance against a very good team in the Kings. Then you go and play a bad team that has a goaltender who's seen everything, and you're never going to beat him on any shot that he can get his eyes on. And then the third game, your goaltender steals the game. When you're outshot 38-28, outhit 20-11, you take more penalty minutes, 15-11, to and you win less than 42% of the faceoffs. Yeah. That's a lot going against you that the goaltender made up for made up for the fact that you weren't physically engaged, you were territorially outplayed, you took some dumb penalties, yep. and you couldn't win any face-offs. Even Joe Hansen was only 11-12 and 12 for the night on face-offs, won and lost. That's the first time this year that he's been anywhere near 50%, in this case, slightly below it. Uh, Olofsson was... Zero and six. Cogliano was one and four. Um, McKinnon was seven and nine. They had a terrible night in the face-off circle, and the goaltender to the goaltender, it didn't matter. He he made sure they won the game. He willed them to that win, uh, along with some of the other factors that we've already mentioned. from uh, Sportsnet in Canada. The NHL, and we're, you know, we're early in the season, nevertheless. The number's kind of jarring. The NHL goals saved above expected. Right. Leaders among goaltenders. Georgiev is third behind our Soderblom and Aiden Hill. He's third. But he's third in three Pretty games. Pretty good goaltender. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's third in three games, Sandy, with 5.29. Yeah. Which basically is saying like an average goaltender would have coughed up five more goals in the last three than games yeah. than Georgiev has. Georgiev now rocking a 3-0 record, a 1.3 goals against, a save percentage of 958 on 95 shots. Obviously not sustainable, but right. great through three games. And on a shootout, three for three. He yeah. hasn't allowed more than That's two right. goals in any game. And you know what? The goal he gave up last night I thought was the worst goal he gave up all year. Uh, because as Ferraro first, yeah. pointed out, he, goal, yeah. he, he didn't have his angle. He wasn't squared up. Uh, he was a little sloppy with his positioning. And, uh, you know, the Avalanche were running around in their own end, too. He he wasn't completely at fault. But that was the first goal he gave up this year that wasn't flukish. I, I guess the goal in the last 10 seconds of the period against the Kings, the second period in the opener, 
he mishandled the puck, but there was so much else that went wrong in that play. It was a perfect uh, yeah. combination of, of bad things and happening. And that's really two of those goals. One that, went off McCarr's no, stick. But, the other right. goal, two and, defensemen but, but the goal, fell. The goal, the goal itself, even though he mishandled the puck, the goal itself went in off McCarr's stick. Last night was the first time you didn't have a redirect or your own teammate effectively knocking the puck past you. It, and that's for three games. Three games. Against... Uh, a team that beat you in the playoffs last year, Seattle, a team in the Kings that's a very good team and well-coached, and a team in San Jose, yes, totally rebuilding, but with a goaltender who played as good a game as you'll probably see all year during the regular season by any goaltender. I mean, you don't see a lot of regular season games when one team has 51 shots on goal and only scores once in regular. Last night, Logan O'Connor talked about that game against the, the Kraken, in which the Evs won 4-1, to one, but if you watch the game, they probably weren't the better team on the ice that night. O'Connor said they were probably the better team tonight, but he was huge back there. Penalty kill was big. He's the best penalty killer out there. He being Georgiev. And, and the truth is, he has been. I would argue, Sandy, in the first three games, yeah, you have Miko Rantanen scoring in bunches as he does. Right. Uh, Kale McCarr looking like the all-world guy that he is. Nathan McKinnon, at least up until last night, looking terrific. Last night, a little underwhelming. I, I, I thought he was, I really do. I thought he was sick last night. They showed a shot of him on the bench with his head bowed down in the first period, looking like he was getting sick. But uh, Georgiev, to, me, but to my Georgiev. mind, has been oh, their best huh. player, full stop. Yeah. I think he's been the best player on the Avalanche. Yes. And when you look at the top yes. ten, top-tier talent, that this team has. He's been great. And you had a guy years. that was at minimum a top 10 goalie, maybe a top five goalie last year, and appears yeah, to still be ascending. Yeah. Like, it is not, I know we're three games in, but even based on last year, it's not impossible to say Vezina candidate. This is a guy that led the league in wins last year. Yes. Vezina candidate already, Alexander Georgiev. If you think of what the Avalanche can do, and you have a Vezina level goalie behind them, you are. Not only a cup contender, you're a cup favorite. And you know, health might be the only thing standing. You know in the what I like about him, too? I think he likes to play on the road. She now, we saw like his it. reaction the other night when they won the overtime game mm-hmm. in San Jose at the Sharks. After he stuffed another guy in a shootout. Yep, yep. And we saw his reaction last year at Madison Square Garden when he outplayed Shesterkin, and they won again in overtime against the New York Rangers. And I think he likes to play on and the you, road. And we talked about best goaltender since Patrick Waugh. The good, loves the good the goalies have a little bit of that swag. If you can, if you can remember Patrick Waugh, you know, his favorite type of save, glove hands, swipe that up, catch that puck on the way up, and then hold that thing up to the crowd and the other team for a minute before dropping it to the go, to the referee. You can pick. I can still picture it in my head. Those top goalies have that kind of swagger. They like to let the other team and the other fan base knows you're not beating me tonight. It's not going to happen tonight. And Georgiev doesn't have that that wah in your face. I'm the best guy on the ice. I dare you to prove otherwise, Swagger. But he does seem to have that same kind of fire on the inside where you're like, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show these guys what I'm made well, of. We, we saw it when it wasn't necessarily channeled properly last year uh, in Vancouver one right. night. And it was kind he, of a turning point broke his in his career. And, 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 and he yelled it. McCarr, just because McCarr happened to be the nearest Closest player. Guy. It, yeah. it wasn't anything against McCarr personally or even professionally. He just happened to be the guy who was there, and he was trying to settle Georgiev down, and Georgiev started screaming at him. And in a very subtle way, Jared Bednar uh, 
sort of put him in timeout over mm-hmm. the next three or four games. He didn't play very much, and it was very subtle. He wasn't called out publicly, but it was a reminder that you can't act like that. You got to keep your poise. If you're if you're going to be our goaltender, you've got to keep your poise. And his whole demeanor after that changed. Yep. His whole did. demeanor changed. It's a great point. I'm glad you and, brought that up because it did. And we talked about it. That was it. a turning point for him, I it think, was. as a Colorado Avalanche because he had played well up until that point, pretty well, but the team was 2017 and three. And he was not a top five goaltender for sure. Nope. During that stretch where they went 31 7 and four, he was as good as any goaltender in the league. And by the end of the year, he was a top five goaltender. And if you add the three games from this year, as we pointed out earlier, 34-7-4 in their last 45 games. Now, McKinnon's missed some of those games, and McCarr's missed some of those games. And uh, obviously, Yuryev hasn't played every game. But I would say, all things considered, over the span of 45 regular season games, most recently played by the Avalanche, Alexander Georgiev has been their best player over those 45. He's been, if not if not That's the best, then the most valuable. The most valuable player. Remember, their penalty killing improved dramatically the second half of the season, and it was the one thing they did well during the playoff series loss to Seattle. They killed penalties very well. Seattle did nothing on the power play, about like last night when Seattle really was completely curtailed by the avalanche. And when they did have good opportunities, Georgiev stoned them. Think, think about this. The avalanche, knowing that the Rangers needed to make a move with, with Igor Shosturkin. Now, Georgiev was sort of the heir apparent to Lundqvist, but Shosturkin and... Uh, and- and look, you can't, won you the can't job. even second guess the right, the, the right guy. The right guy oh, won. Of course. Shesterkin was brilliant, but, is but brilliant. Gilgabe didn't lose the job. Shesterkin won the job. Right. And they had to find a way to, to move on. Credit the Avs for jumping on it before people realized it. But think about what they gave up. A third-round pick and a fifth-round pick. That's all they gave up for a guy that appears to be a franchise goaltender. Just remarkable. I mean, that that ends up being such a, a tremendous trade. And the Avs have done that because they have managed the salary cap as well as they have. So they've been ready to do that. They were able to do the same thing with Devontae's, who they gave up a second rounder for. Uh, there were a lot of teams that would have liked Devontae's. Now, Taves took his game to a second level with the, yeah. with the Avalanche, but he was a good defenseman. Yes. And oh, yes. the Avs were the only team that had the cap room who could just Take him. But imagine that. For Taves and Georgiev. You give up a second, a third, and a fifth? Taves from the Islanders. Georgiev from the Rangers. They give up a second, a third, and a fifth. Not a single first-round pick. Oh, my. For those two players. And those two players, if they were put into a draft, now, uh, you know, goaltending can be funny. Uh, You you can take goaltenders later, and they sometimes bloom late. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of times, that's why you see goaltenders who can play into their 40s and still be good. Um, but Taves would be a first-round pick. Oh, my goodness, yes. Now, right? And you gave up a second for him. And Georgiev would would be considered in any draft a premier prospect as a goaltender. 
and they give a third and a fifth for him. It's it, it, the 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 moves, both obvious and more subtle, made by this organization over the last five to ten years. Over and over and over again. It was Joe Sackick, and then it was Joe Sackick and Chris McFarlane. And now McFarlane is the day-to-day operator. There's mm-hmm. no question no, about it. He is. He's making the calls, and he's the, you know, I he is he's the best general manager in the city to me, to me. Now, I you know, we all like Calvin Booth. A whole lot, mm-hmm. and he's one for one. You can't do much better. Uh, than that. No, <laughs> but uh, you know, the Rocky situation speaks for itself. The Broncos situation speaks for itself. Well, you don't find many uh, young executives any better than Calvin Booth in the NBA and Chris McFarlane in the National Hockey League. After you just that meltdown, which happened uh, again with the fifth, it was the fifth loss for Georgiev against Vancouver. After that meltdown and the way things were handled, he only lost back-to-back games one more time. As a matter of fact, since that meltdown, he's played 37 games. Yeah, in the regular season, he's 28, six and three. It's about right. <laughs> about what I figured. I mean, that is that's not good. That's great. Yeah, uh, the Avs have yeah. a legitimate. That's all-star stuff. That is big-time stuff. The Denver Nuggets will get going soon enough for real next week. They yeah. had a first of two games with the Clippers. I haven't watched a little bit, and it was against my religion to watch NBA preseason wow. basketball. Well, fortunately- but I watched a little bit last night. The starters didn't play. No. But. But. It, it is Ryan Blackburn's job to watch it, though, because he is the lead at Nuggets Analyst for Mile High right. Sports, and we'll have him join us next.